went to vacation Bible school, proselytes of the chapel, non-denominational services. Um, that our neighbor was a rabbi, and I just had an experience of of really having quite a diverse uh, spiritual background. I never thought, oh, I want to be a chaplain when I grow up. <clears throat> but when I was uh, 29 years old, my father had just been diagnosed with uh, brain cancer and he was starting to get really weak. And he said, I may need you to cover for me. I've asked for um, them to find someone else. I'm, I will not recover from this, but they haven't. And so if you could just cover for me in case I need you sometime, I know you've been a mentor of youth, from your youth, would you be willing? And of course, I was happy to help my dad. So he, I went with him um, that Sunday and he introduced me to the students in the residential treatment center where he was the chaplain at that time. He had since retired from the military and he died two days later. And so the facility said, please keep coming. We haven't uh, found a new chaplain yet. And so I did continue to meet with the students and conduct an interface service for the next three months, and then they found a chaplain who was also a former military chaplain. And he said, I'm happy to take this position, but I'm going to need uh, a relief chaplain twice a month because of my other duties. And so they said, will you please continue with us? So I did and, and conducted the interfaith worship services and did a little pastoral counseling um, during those weeks when the chaplain was gone. And then after five years, um, he retired fully from chaplaincy, and so the facility said, we'll waive a master's in divinity. You have five years' experience with us. Will you please be our chaplain? So I said, yes, of course. Now, this was back in the 80s, and I had not yet gone to through pastoral education, clinical pastoral education. I had not received my master's degree. Um, I was really just basing what I did on experience and watching my father um, 30 years of my life. Uh, but that propelled me into taking it more seriously and thinking, you know, if I'm going to be doing this, not just as a relief chaplain, but as a chaplain for a facility, I need to know more about what I'm doing and get some more specialized um, uh, education. And so I completed that. And then eventually I came to the facility where I'm at now at Heritage. And it's only been in the last couple of years that I actually completed a master's degree. And that's in crisis response and trauma. Well, Tammy, I had the opportunity to work with you for a number of years. And I have always been impressed with the rapport you had with students and how you seem to understand their needs and know how to help and encourage them. Could you talk about some of the things you do as a chaplain? Sure. Um, I might want to respond to that for just a second. I okay. think that God has blessed me with a memory of what it was like to be a teenager. Those are really difficult years. You feel like everyone's looking at you. Everyone's paying attention to you. Everyone's noticing every little thing. Um, your body's changing in ways that you don't quite understand yet. And that those memories, it's been, I'm almost 60 years old, so that's been a really long time, but I still remember that pain. And that has helped me to build relationships and rapport with my students. And I, I just believe that's God-given. I don't remember what it was like to be in third grade, but I sure remember seventh grade and beyond. <laughs> so, yes. uh, so that's been helpful. So some of my duties... Um, 
revolve around doing a spiritual assessment, kind of figuring out where the student is, what is important to them at this time, if they have a belief in a higher power or not, if, if prayer meditation is important to them, some of the spiritual beliefs and practices and values of their family of origin, and then how I can help enhance that. If a student comes in as a Lutheran, I would like them to leave as a better Lutheran, where they have strengthened their bonds with their family and um, can worship together and share that, that faith heritage. Sometimes our students have, that's been one of the ways they've wanted to punish or alienate or um, get back at their parents for being parents. I, they didn't let me go to the dance. They won't let me see that boy. They took away my phone. Whatever it may be, I'm not going to go to church anymore. And so when they uh, come to residential care, they're still using that same thing that they think will um, hurt their parents. And so they may not want to attend any worship services. It's fascinating, though, because in residential care, nobody makes them. It's up to them. <laughs> Everything's offered and they're welcome, but they get to decide if they're going to go or not. And typically when they see their friends going and then pretty soon they notice a member of the opposite sex that they think they might want to get to know better who's also attending this worship service, then they may give it a try. And the services are not co-ed. They're co-ed in that male and female attend, but everybody sits on different sides of the room and they leave out different doors. And But it tends to be enough sometimes if you remember, Emily, what you were like when you were 15 or 16, you're just a little bit interested. Yes. And so I remember. If you, can just, you remember, right? Yeah. If you can just get a nod from someone across the room and, and know that maybe they're, they're interested for God, but also because they, they are seeing value in me as a person, um, that can mean a lot. And so I always tell the kids, I don't care what their reasons are for attending the humanitarian youth groups or the worship services or anything that we do, I feel like God will rub off on them eventually. And that uh, tends to be the case. We have over 60% participation um, in our worship services. And with nobody making them attend, that's quite remarkable. That's, that is. That's impressive. I think it's also the warm regard they feel, that acceptance I hope I would hope so. I would hope so. I hope that they would feel that way from from me, from their staff who are uh, you know bringing them. They can't come on their own. They need to to go with staff and their structure and getting them from point A to point B on campus, but also that positive regard from the Lord, from their higher power that no matter what their past has been, they have a spotless future. That's actually the motto that we use in all of our worship services. We repeat that at the end of each worship service and that their past is behind them. I often use the, I have a rear view mirror that my husband got for me from um, a junkyard <laughs> off of a car. And, and I use it in some of my sermons to talk about um, the size of the rearview mirror and how little that is. And that's all we need is that little mirror to glance behind us occasionally when we're driving. But the windshield is really big. And that's because it's far more important to see where we're going than it is to see where we've been. And that's the same way in our life and with the mistakes that we've made. Those mistakes are behind us. The past is behind us. But let's look forward and, and let's move forward in faith. That's powerful. You mentioned humanitarian activities. 
Tell us yes. about that. Okay. Well, just yesterday we did one, and it's not earth-shattering, um, but it was fun for the students to do. With Valentine's Day coming up, they made Valentine's cards for members of the military and then also for those who are their age in the uh, local state mental hospital. I have a niece who works with the youth in the state mental hospital, and last year our students made cards for them, and they were so well received. It just was a very exciting time for those patients to receive those, and so we thought we would do it again. And this year we had greater participation. They wanted to make one or two, two or three, for each of the patients to receive. And they were cheerful, they were cute, they had jokes on them, they were don't give up, I understand, I'm in treatment too. No names are shared, I don't know the names of the patients and our students didn't sign their names. Mm -hmm. But that feeling of caring um, existed. And so that was lots of fun. We've done, um, we've put together homeless, um, kits for the homeless, hygiene kits for the homeless. At Christmas time, we purchased big, um, like bulk items of socks and then divided them up into individual pairs, rolled them up, put a ribbon on them with a little note that said, you matter, and they were handed out at the Food and Care Coalition. Apparently, socks are the number one clothing item requested for those that are homeless, and so they um, provided those. Wonderful. We've made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that go um, for the sack lunches for those who are the working poor. They have to choose between purchasing food or rent, and so they pay for the rent, but then they uh, come to the Food and Care Coalition for meals, and they're given a sack lunch that they can take with them to work. And uh, there's a special way to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich just so it doesn't go soggy. And so our students uh, do that, and then they also, again, put a little tag on it, taped on to each sandwich that said, you matter. And those just are so well received. I, I imagine if I were opening that up um, and receiving that lunch that day, that, to have that little note that what I was doing made a difference, that my life was important, that I mattered. I'm sure. Uh, that would be a little boost. I'm sure it would. And and I went with you one time to for Habitat for Humanity, the Women Build Program. Oh, that was exciting. Yes, that was a lot of fun. I and remember the girls seemed to love that. They did. That's what I remember is what that meant, what that did for them. And I'm I expect that all of those activities benefit the students. And I think isn't that part of why they're scheduled? Absolutely. In in residential care, everything is about you, right? Your grades, your IEP, your therapy, your family therapy, your group therapy, everything's about you. And that is great. It needs to be. You need that intense support, but there comes a time when the focus needs to be on you giving service to someone else. There's an interesting study done um, recently through BYU, and one of the things that was found in this research study was that pro-social behavior creates higher self-worth in youth. So if they're fairly depressed and feeling sorry for themselves and are in a place where they don't want to be and they'd rather be somewhere else doing something else, if they can be given um, quality opportunities to help strangers, so whether it's a Habitat for Humanity um, 
women's build or cleaning up. We had an, another home, one of our homes on campus, go and be the cleanup crew right before the ribbon cutting ceremony, the day before the ribbon cutting ceremony on a Habitat for Humanity home. And so it was dusty and there was wood shavings and there was sheetrock dust and um, caulking that needed to be cleaned up and all of those things, but it was in a brand new home and the students just made it sparkle and then we went out for ice cream and they loved that. They, it, they didn't love it. We could have not gone to get ice cream. Yeah. They absolutely yeah. loved cleaning. They just, may not want to clean their own room, but they'll clean someone else's. To <laughs> so, feel, yeah. I, I'm sure that made them yeah. feel valued and that they had contributed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if you have time, I'd love to tell about one more service project that seemed to really resonate with especially oh, the young women. Please do. Go ahead. So we um, were, we have done several projects with the Days for Girls, which is an international program that provides um, reusable feminine hygiene project products to areas of the world where um, the disposable aren't, they aren't able to use those. They're not able to discard them safely. They're, they're not able to have access to them, whatever the case may be. So they can use these uh, reusable ones. And so we were part of the, of the wheel and a cog in the wheel that got the things done and accomplished and purchased and not purchased so much, although we did um, help with flannel. But we were able to, once they were sewn, to turn them right side out so that they could have the last top stitching done. And we would do this by the thousands. And then some of them we would iron to get them ready for that top stitching. Well, one of the girls said to me, are you telling me that some in some places of the world, girls don't have access to the stuff. And I said, yes, that's right. And I said, they're, they're unable to go to school. They are bleeding on a piece of cardboard if they are not able to have access to this, these products. And some of them are trading sexual favors for these products so that they can stay in school, so that theirs can be a generation where they don't have to get married when they're 12 or 13 and they can not be uh, put into very hard labor, um, different things like that. And so she's just, was mind boggling. And she said, I need to help them. Everyone here needs to help them. I live in a really bad part of LA and my family doesn't have a lot of money, but we can afford pads. Tammy, we need to help them. <laughs> and she would come in uh, whenever she could. If, do you have any more of those? What can I do? I'm going to get all the girls in my home to help. I mean, she just really saw this cause. And when, wow. when they can see the reason for helping someone else, even if they're in Africa, strangers that they'll never meet, it means so much to them. And they do have this feeling of self-worth. I am making a difference in the life of someone else. And it's huge. That is, so. that is powerful. Do you have any advice for parents who maybe they're trying to get their teenager to come out of their room and interact with the world? It sounds like offering a wealth of opportunities to serve. What else have you found to be effective? Having them connect with someone else other than their parents that's an appropriate parent figure, a person in the community is often very, very wise. So, for instance, scouting, Girl Scout leaders, Boy Scout leaders, youth group leaders, 
things like that, um, people like that often make a big difference in the life of a young person. A favorite teacher, just a positive parent role that's not necessarily the parent can often make a big difference. Um, I'm thinking back on my life. I was 14 years old. I didn't think my parents knew anything, and I felt like I knew everything. I didn't think there was anything special about my parents. Sure, I loved them, but what did they know? They were so old-fashioned, all of those things. Uh-huh. Yes. And I had a teacher who saw something special in me and asked me to take a leadership role. And I was blown away because I just saw myself as kind of the class clown. I wasn't that great in school. I was okay, but I wasn't that great in school. I wasn't an athlete. There were so many things that I was not. But that person saw something that I was. And that was a pivotal, life-changing moment in my life. They supported everything that my parents said to me, everything that they wanted me to be and do. But for some reason, I listened to them more than my parents at that time. And and so finding ways for other people to connect, whether it's the neighbor, it's their favorite, the mother of the favorite children that they babysit. I mean, whatever it is, if there can be another um, important adult role in their life that's wholesome and helpful, that can be, that can be a really positive thing. That sounds amazing. And I have observed that too, that quite often you're right when they're 14, mom and dad don't know anything. Then when they're 21, they're thinking, my parents are getting a little smarter. <laughs> yes. And by the time you're 30, you think, my parents are brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true. So. But the power of service to help teenagers, well, any teenager, but especially teenagers with special needs, that's great. It can really be powerful. Tammy, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I loved working with you. You were a ray of sunshine every day. I know you. <laughs> Emma Lou, we miss me. you. You and and I I loved working with you. One of the things that I thought was so great about you is that you had experience being a, a parent. And so you could relate to the parents that were struggling with their kids and you could help the kids because you knew what had worked with your children or what didn't work and and I think having that experience just made you extra qualified and you're already super qualified. <laughs> That's a great place. I enjoyed working there. Well, Tammy, you have a great day. All right. Thank you so much. You take care. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. families. This is Emily Penrod, and the guest I have with me today is George Ballou. He is the clinical director of the Peers Academy at Heritage Schools in Provo, and I had the privilege of working with him for several years and can highly recommend him as an intelligent and conversant on the topic of autism. George, welcome. Yeah, no pressure, right? Thank you. 